0: In today's podcast, I talk about yoga and the law with Corey Sterling, who is a lawyer and as he says on his website, a real person. He founded Conscious Counsel, which is heart leading law. I know it sounds funny, but boy, when I talk to him, I totally get it. I loved speaking with him. And I think what he has to say is so impactful, especially for yoga teachers, personal trainers, or Just anyone who wants to understand how law can be your friend, if you have any kind of business. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. Welcome to Friday with Friends. I have a new friend, Corey Sterling, with me. Corey is a lawyer, but not the kind of lawyer we want to dread. He actually is the head of Conscious Counsel.
1: Welcome, Corey. Thank you for having me. And how awesome is it to have new friends?
0: It's so great. I have... Made a lot of new friends over this past year. And, you know, making them online is almost as rewarding as seeing them in person. It really has been such a wonderful surprise.
1: Cool. I'm happy that you and I are friends.
0: I am too. So, my first question for you is how did you decide to become a conscience counsel? Your logo says Heart Leading Law, which is so wonderful because obviously, I think especially in the western world the legal system is not usually correlated with a heart-leading vibe. So how did you can you t- tell us a little bit about your path to getting here?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. One thing that makes me really proud is that that logo was it, that logo's from 2015 and we haven't changed it and I think it's so cool that the idea that I originally had 5 years, oh my god, no, it's 2017, 2016, whatever. For four or five years, it's it's cool that we're still doing things the same way that we originally intended to, which is awesome. So I even forgot that those words were on the logo. But basically, I, uh, I was living in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and I had worked for a couple of law firms, and I saw that client's for the most part, didn't weren't really enjoying the legal experience, and and the one piece that was missing was was love, and was someone who could really simplify and uh, explain complex legal concepts concepts in a in a really simple way. And I think like my first ten clients, it was just like every time we would talk, I would just like when we would say goodbye, I'd be like, okay, I love you, like love you, have a great day, because I say I love you to a lot of my friends and to, and to my family. And so I thought, why could that not be part of the, you know, the lawyer-client relationship? And especially, you know, because there's so much trust in the relationship with a lawyer. And obviously, a lawyer has fiduciary duties and is is such a big part of any growing business, the relationship that you have with a lawyer. I thought, why not go against the grain and introduce love into something like that? So that's how it started. And the cool thing is now, it's obviously there's a lot more volume than there was originally. But I think, but I, I feel that we still do give the same amount of love to our clients. We support them. We're really patient with them. We explain things to them and we come from a, it, that's it. It's just, it comes from a hard leading place instead of certainly not, you know, a lot of law is conflict and adversarial and has an adversarial nature to it. But, but what we're doing and what we're trying to do is show people there's a way that you can be a professional, but you can also you know be empathetic be caring be kind be fun be informal and yeah just mixing it all up together
0: oh i love that i totally agree that it i have a you know a legal team for the past 10 years and i feel that way about them i absolutely love them they're so kind and sweet they never try and uh, make it like they're dumbing something down they explain things to me support me you're right it's a very intimate relationship because you know, no matter what you're doing, whether you're protecting something or going—I—I I I don't know—defending or going after somebody, I don't know what that the word would be that would be more loving. But you know, it is—it involves everything: your finances, your emotional self, your professional well-being. It's—it's it's a very, very important relationship, and I think that the, that you're infusing with love is just wonderful. It's wonderful and needed. Now, how do you? choose your clients or how do the clients choose you? I was looking at your website and and seeing that you have been involved in a lot of yoga festivals, VegFest. Did you reach out to them or did you just become known as the, the loving legal person to have?
1: It's changed quite a bit, obviously, since 2020, right? Uh, so the, the way that how things started are very different from how things are now. A pretty big shift happened for me after I published my book which is called The Yoga Law Book, Legal Essentials for Yoga Professionals, which anyone can find on Amazon. After I came out with that book, I, I found that there were a lot more people reaching out to me and wanting to have me speak. But I'd say it's, its yeah, I'm selective about who I work with and who I speak with and who I collaborate with. And it's just, it's really been a natural progression more than anything else of just meeting someone who introduces you to someone else or, you you know, Giving speaking at conferences like uh, speaking at Mind Body Bold was really really helpful for me because it just expands you to so many new opportunities and new people and and the other thing so yeah so that's how it sort of worked in terms of podcasts and webinars and those sorts of things but also in terms of clients I think like I don't know there's an probably eighty percent of our clients come from referrals. So I think that's that's always a, a good sign of a healthy business and something that's really important for us, that if you do great work and people like working with you, they will go out of their way to tell their friends or their community or their network about what a positive experience uh, it was. So it's sort of like it's been a hybrid. And then obviously in 2020, much more of things just on online. And it's actually, in many ways, 2020 has was really, really helpful because otherwise, if it was a normal year, I would have to like fly to all of these places to speak at conferences or whatever, give lectures or do, or do things in person. And part of the pleasure has been that I've been able to continue to grow and to meet awesome people and make new friends, but to do so without any, any inconvenience of travel, which has been really nice.
0: That is really nice. I agree that I miss travel, but yeah, there, it's, it, there is an ease to being able to do things virtually. So in terms of the yoga people in your life, what are the common questions, common legal support you offer? What are the most common ones that you're finding? Of course, now so much is virtual, but in general now and before, what are what are the common kind of themes that you have worked with, with yoga instructors and studio owners?
1: I'm going to answer the question. And the first thing I'm just going to say is that we've really like, we've been able to take most, you know, 95% of the needs of an online yoga professional, whether that's a studio or an individual teacher. And we came up with a legal package for that person because it just happened that with all of the conversations I was having and all the people I was speaking to, you realize that everyone more or less has the same needs, right? So the tricky thing as a lawyer is that, The clients don't understand what their needs are because the client feels confused or feels overwhelmed or feels disempowered and feels like they're not doing anything properly and they want to grow their business, but they only want to do so properly. And the way that we've reacted to that and the solution that we've created has been this package of of documents, which I'll talk about in a second. But to answer the question more directly, the more of the recent issues that we've seen have come around. uh, We always get questions about trademarks. Uh, We always get questions about what can be copyrighted in terms of a yoga teacher training manual or a series of postures and if that can be copyrighted or not. Uh, We get a lot of questions about content of ownership, video ownership. So if you're a studio and you're recording your teachers, who owns the content, what are the rules around that? We get a ton of questions around waivers of liability always. Because that seems to be a really, really important area for teachers to get clarity and to help protect their business. And I think also just on the teacher front, which is sort of tied into the contractor-employee distinction, is just like non-competes, non-solicitations. What are the boundaries between what I can restrict? You know, what what can I restrict my teachers from doing? Does it matter if they're a contractor or an employee? What happens if they don't listen and, and all those sorts of questions? But so that's to answer, you know, the part of your question of what sort of questions are we getting? Everything more or less will exist in within one of those issues that I mentioned. Also, chargebacks was a was a big issue for studio owners a little bit, you know, not too long ago. And then there's been like a wave of questions around consumer rights and having an appropriate service agreement. But in working with literally hundreds of yoga professionals in the past three years, we've come up with a, with a package, which we call like the online yoga professional package. It really, it consists of three documents. And and my belief is in all of the situations I've been in with all of my clients that with these three documents, you really are putting yourself in a position to succeed. And you're really mitigating most, a very, very high majority of the problems that you could run into. So at conscious counsel, we teach our clients that laws is about relationships, and so you want to communicate your relationships openly. You want to communicate your expectations openly and honestly for all the different relationships that you have. And, and what the package that we've created, one of them is the waiver of liability. So anyone who works with you or anyone that you teach has to sign a waiver, which means that they're not allowed to sue you if they get injured during practice. We have a document that's called a service Agreement. What the service agreement does is it communicates your relationship with your clients about payments, about refunds, about guarantees, about expectations, about all of the things like, cool, I'm so excited to work together. This is exactly the type of working relationship we're going to have. And then the third document is the privacy policy, the terms of service and social media and online disclaimers. And, And that sort of document deals with the relationship for your website, for social media, and for any information you collect from people, and and we found with those three documents, an online yoga professional will be will almost all of the issues that could come up for them will be dealt with proactively with those documents.
0: Yeah, those sound very comprehensive. So, how often have you ever had someone? Because I hear about this, you know, as a studio owner, for example, where there's teachers who are teaching at a studio. And they leave and they start teaching the same kind of style or methodology and open up their own studio. Um, Have you ever dealt with that kind of legal situation? And how do you advise the studio owner what to do in that? Like, what what are their rights? Do they have any rights? If someone is basically kind of taking their format the way their studio is set up and replicating it and opening up their own. I belong to a yoga studio owner portal on Facebook and it's astounding the number of times this conversation came up.
1: What is the name of that yoga studio owner portal?
0: It's literally Yoga Studio Owners and it's Got on it. Facebook. And there's Got there's it. two different ones. One of them is like very 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 active and you know I can have you take a look at it or whatever but yeah, you would Business would be booming um, because there's a lot of there are a lot of legal questions. Some of it is like just just ranting about things that are happening or asking questions about you know what would you do in this situation or what what's worked for you in terms of you know studio classes or timing and stuff. But this is this is a thread that has come up quite a bit, and I always felt wow this that's really tough. I fortunately never had that happen. But what kind of legal stronghold does the studio owner have if they have teachers going in and kind of copying what they're doing?
1: So the first, the first part to that question is it always depends, right? It's like within, in any legal situation, there are so many variables of like, what is the written agreement between the parties and what did they say? And what is the person doing? And it's so, it's really difficult to give a uniform or boxed answer. That being said, what I will tell you is that I've been hired equally by teachers leaving a studio and studio owners. So I've really sat on both sides of the fence of this. So I can sort of answer from both perspectives about what the answers are. Again, it's the most important thing that I would say for everyone to acknowledge and understand is that what most people don't think about when it comes to the law is what is the actual practical implementation of these legal principles going to look like? And the answer is that it rarely gets to that point just because it's so expensive and it's so long. And like, it's the chances of actually going to trial and being in front of a judge are very, very small because of how long things take and how expensive things are. If you look at the example of a yoga studio that has a teacher who leaves and let's not even say opens their own studio, but just decides to have an online studio, right? Because that's how studios are opening now anyways. So, you know, let's say the teacher worked, worked for the studio for six years and then decides one day, okay, I'm just going to open up my own yoga studio and I'm going to teach my own classes and all of these things. What, what rights does this, does this studio have? It really depends. And the first question always is, are they a contractor or are they an employee? Right, because a contractor by law it it runs their own business, and it's in almost no circumstances can a business, especially in the yoga context. The tricky thing about yoga and yoga law is that yoga does not have its own laws within Western society in, in North America, so there's not like you know the Yoga Studio Owners Act, which right outlines all of the rules. Whereas if you're a bank, like there are a lot of rules that are specifically towards you in your industry. So the tricky thing with yoga is that it's a smaller piece that's fitting into a bigger picture, but then it wants, it, you know, so in some, in sometimes certain things will apply in some in certain things, certain times, other things won't apply. So firstly, if someone's a contractor and then they decide to open up their own business, that is perfectly in line with what it means for them to be a contractor. And as such, it would be very, very difficult for you to be able to prevent them from doing so. And that's why like one of the big issues that we see coming up has to do with classification of a contractor, an employer, uh, an employee. Because if someone's an employee, then the situation's a little bit different. That being said, the government and courts never want to restrict someone's ability to earn income through their profession. So why is it fair for a yoga studio to say, well, I paid you to teach classes here and now you're starting your own? Like, you're not allowed to do that. The converse, the rationale against that is, well, why not? That person should be allowed to choose where they work. It's sort of like, if you work at McDonald's and you're not allowed to work at Burger King, right? Or you're not allowed to start your own restaurant if you worked at McDonald's. So it's complex, but what I would say is that there are provisions which you can include in an agreement, which are like, you know, confidentiality provisions, non-solicitation can apply. So there are things that you can do to as best as possible, protect yourself and your business. But just like, let's run through a, a very quick situation together. So let's say I have a yoga studio and one of my teachers left and now has started an online studio. And let's say they even signed a non-competition provision, right? Non-competes do will not always apply, especially with a contractor. And it depends how well it's drafted. Everything in law, the ability for you to uphold or, you, you know, use legal provision to your advantage is always about how, how well it's drafted. So let's say like, it's not well drafted and this teacher leaves. Okay. What are my options? I send them a demand letter. I say, close your studio. Otherwise I'm going to come after you. And, and because you know, you signed this agreement and blah, blah, blah. They don't care. They don't listen. Okay. I hire my lawyer. I'm going to draft a statement of claim. I'm going to start to commence an action against them. Now I'm starting to pay my lawyer, you know, Thousands of dollars for this project and all of their time, and like we all. The other thing that you also have to look at is like what are the calculation of damages. So let's say this person starts a studio, but they have, you know, twelve clients that they started, and each client pays a fifty dollar month membership fee. Okay, so the amount that I'm technically suffering would be, you know, how much it costs either for me to lose them or for this person to have them. Which okay, so let's say that's six hundred dollars, right? So now I've already paid $2,000 in legal fees, but I haven't even gotten started with all of this. And if absolutely every single thing goes my way, hypothetically, I can win $600, right? So it's like, that. that's why what how I coach my yoga clients is like, don't think about practical things that you can do to have the best types of relationships, i.e. like get all of your teachers to sign an agreement that explicitly state like, hey, our expectations are if you're working here, that you only work here, or if you work other places, you don't teach our method or whatever it is. And then on top of that, work with the right people. Because unfortunately, access to the legal system can be can be very financially straining. And oftentimes, especially in yoga, the amount that you'll win if everything goes your way and everything was seen through to the end, it won't even cover you know, your legal costs. So you're, you're not doing it from a financial position. So it's way more important to like have great agreements, communicate openly and honestly, and work with the right people. And like, that's, that's the type of law that we teach people instead of like, Oh, let's draft a really, really restrictive confidentiality provision, because that's what, excuse me, non-compete, because that's, what's going to make the difference between all of these things. I hope that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. Having a studio for nine years, I never had a non compete, and some thought that was stupid. I just simply said, Hey, you know, what I ask of you, kind of in an honorable way, is that you don't teach this, my particular method, in a two, I think I said two mile radius. You know, it wasn't even that far. And, you know, that just, maybe that's done. You know, like some of it is I have to, I, ha- I believe in abundance. You know, I believe like... Yeah, of course. Hey, you know, I had somebody leave my studio and open up a studio and I was happy for her. I, like you said, wanting someone else to succeed doesn't take away from our own success. I also think that if you don't get... I But I agree with what you said about being really clear up front. I think having things written out, your expectations, not being... Not being super severe, but but you know, if you if you really don't want somebody teaching in a certain amount of distance, you know, make that very clear up front, and then that person can decide if they want to teach for you or not. But I, I, yeah, there's's there's clear communications are really important. And then I think saving your kind of legal, you know, stronghold for where it might really matter even more, like if it's actually going to impact your business in a huge way. Now, we have so many people now. I mean, I had this year alone, 500 people online teacher training that have completed my online teacher training, but I've had many more. So I know a lot of teachers out there and some are new to the yoga world. And I think one of their bigger question is like, how do I do this online? How do I do Zoom? How do I get clients? Can you just give us a couple of really easy tips for people uh, from a legal standpoint, what they need—I know you have information—and I encourage everybody to look for Corey's to look at his book. But any quick tips for people who are only doing online classes for themselves, not as a part of a
1: studio? Yeah, the answer to that—and and it's from my perspective and my experience—those three documents that I mentioned at the start. It's that's that's what you—that's really what you need. I think it's part of what's so great about it is that if you're a yoga teacher starting, you're not going to, probably you're not going to be super interested about the law. You're not going to be passionate about learning about all of the things that you need. And so it's often, it's better to just work with someone who understands what what your particular needs are, right? And the whole design of of what we came up with, with that package, and I will answer the, the question more generally the best of my ability. But just to share with you as well, the reason why we did it is like, we realized, okay, yoga teachers, A, have no, they don't really know anything about the law. They don't know what they need put in an agreement, but everyone more or less has the same type of relationships doing the same types of things in the same types of ways, right? Like maybe it'll be Zoom or maybe it'll be this, or maybe it'll be that. And so in the same way that like with my relationship with my accountant is like I don't really think he just tells me what to do, or you know, I upload the numbers into a software and then he gives me an answer. That's what we've tried to do as well with our package, where it's like you receive a link, it takes 13 minutes to fill out the link, in five business days you get three customized documents that are specific to you and your business. We explain to you how to use them, and then like it's done. You've spent a total okay. you spent you spent a total of one hour of your life. You now have three legal documents that protect you for everything you're doing and go and build and create. What I would say is to a new teacher who's just starting, what do you need? You need to look at the different relationships that you have and you need to use documents to create the ideal relationship for you. Because as a yoga teacher, your lifeblood is going to be either your members or your students. They represent your revenue. You're not not bringing in money in other ways other than teaching. So you need to have a relation. You need to have some form of written document for your clients. A waiver of liability you definitely need just because of all of the experiences that I've been through over, around waivers and also the peace of mind that you get from knowing that someone has signed a waiver before you lead them in practice. And then you just you need to be careful with your social media disclaimers. And if you're doing online marketing at law, you have a legal obligation to, to, to disclose a privacy policy of how you keep people's information. The other things that you want to think about is, you know, if I guess if it's just you you don't really have to think about intellectual property ownership of videos and and who owns what. But that's a really good start. Like there, there really isn't that much outside of that. And it's certainly it's overwhelming and stressful if you if you yeah, if you don't have experience with it. But what I would say to anyone who maybe if you don't want to work with a lawyer or you for whatever reason like look at your relationships and have something written with all of the the commercial relationships you have because in the event that you need to enforce something or you're uncomfortable or someone crosses a line, you have a tangible corporeal document that you can refer to, which just sets everyone straight again.
0: I can't emphasize enough to everybody who's listening who does work for themselves, whether you're a yoga teacher, personal trainer or whatever, that you do need... To especially if you're doing something unique that you want to have that proprietary ownership over, you really need to get some legal advice because what you're doing is a form as an expression of creativity. It's like if you're somebody wrote a poem or somebody painted a picture, and we might be inspired by other people, but what we create is uniquely ours. Hopefully, and if you do that, you want to protect it and so I have done a lot of legal stuff over the years in terms of branding trademarking, copywriting, licensing and I'm so glad I did now that my platform is much bigger and I have a very very specific method that was developed by me twenty five years of developing it based on my physical therapy background and my yoga background and it is my it's something that's I've put a lot of blood sweat and tears in and you know, I want to have, I want to protect it, and so it, there's a part of there's a part of it that feels a little. At first, it might feel kind of icky for for anybody out there, but it's so necessary. It's so necessary. If you have, if you have grown a business or in the process of growing a business, to get legal counsel, I can't emphasize that enough. And Corey, we're gonna have all your information um, on our show notes. Going, I you said something in your question, in your response, something about social media disclaimers. What are some examples? What are some can you give like two or three um examples of things that people should not say on social
1: media that would be not even it's not even it's less about what you should not say, but it's more like the distinction of what a waiver of liability and a and a disclaimer is in and of itself. Okay. Um, and so things that you shouldn't say are like, oh, like lose belly fat by doing yoga or touch your toes in this amount of time and and in law, the thing you always want to be aware of are misrepresentations. So that means that if you say something and then you induce someone to some form of behavior based on what you say, and then you're unable to fulfill that, they can claim that, that was a, a misrepresentation. And if they've suffered damages as a result of it, like improve your back strength, or you write all of these things that you could just imagine. So the the sort of the the two legs of a disclaimer would be. One, it's always really, really good to include what your qualifications are. So, where you studied, what you, how many hours that training was, um, and also it's really, really important, especially if you do anything around Ayurvedic nutrition or nutrition in general. You have to be very, very clear when it comes to health services or health coaching, even if it's in the context of yoga. That, like you know, you recommend that people speak with a medical professional. And you know that you're not telling them what foods they should eat or not, and you're not promising any results, and that you know you're not qualified to talk about certain things just that's where that's where we've seen a lot of issues come up mm-hmm. um, for for me what, my uh, my personal opinion about disclaimers, I think it's really important to have some look what I see in law all the time in a practical aspect is that the situation works as follows: someone suffers some form of damage or injury or hurt or whatever it is. And then they send an email to you letting you know, Hey, I got hurt doing what you told me to do or this, that, or the other. And now I can't go to work or I've got migraines or whatever it is, right? Like some bad situation. And then the first position that you're going to do is you're going to respond. And what, what I've seen is like the initial response will always send the situation in one of two directions. One of the directions it can send it off is like, Oh, like we have nothing signed. I have no text. I have no legal position here. And like when that happens, especially if the person making the complaint has a has a lawyer, then it's like they smell blood. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, you also made this mistake and you also did that and blah, blah, blah. And they see that you're defenseless because you don't have anything to sort of rebut with. And what that does is then you have to hire a lawyer and that entire process gets drawn out and is longer and is way more expensive. And this is, again, why I encourage, this, this is why we we believe in the documents that we have and the packages that we have. And the other way that it can go is that you have awesome legal agreements. You have a social media disclaimer. Let's say someone saw me on Instagram Live, got injured, is claiming that it's my fault, all of the things. Hey, you know, then the response can be so different. Hey, I'm really sorry that this happened to you. You know, in my Instagram pay profile, I have a link. To my online disclaimer, which is on my website, you can find a copy of it here. Specifically, the disclaimer says you do any of these activities at your own risk, and that I'm not a professional, and that I do not promise any any form of results. Like, best of luck, we hope that you can continue to practice with us in the future. And those those, I think that's like the practical piece that anyone who hasn't had a legal issue or hasn't had, you know, thankfully hasn't been there, they don't see how that process works. But that's why I'm just such a supporter and advocate for the use of documents, because you can take all of the momentum out of a situation, even before it starts, just by virtue of having those documents down. And like, it it doesn't necessarily mean that what you did was right or what you did was wrong. It just means your ability to respond in A, in a professional manner, and B, Mm -hmm. in a manner that helps protect you and takes momentum away from your opposition. It's just like, that's the investment. That's why you pay for documents to have that.
0: So in your documents, you explain how to put this disclaimer on your social media page? Yeah. I never would have thought I would never have thought about putting a disclaimer on Instagram, for instance.
1: What what you'd want to do is let's say we're talking like super best case scenario, and you actually have a you have a, a significant following of people who are following you from all over the world, right? So because the the nature of these of the way things work, i.e., Facebook Live or Instagram Live, it's very unilateral. So it's just you doing something, and then it's like you practicing yoga in front of a, um, a window, in front of on the street, and whoever wants to see can see and practice, but you don't get to see them, and you don't know what they're doing. The law says that someone will have a legal relationship, you know, a duty of care to make sure someone is safe if they're leading an activity for them. So. Would it count if if a yoga teacher is leading a class and someone jumps on the Instagram live and then, you know, is doing it? Yes, I believe that a relationship, a duty of care is created. That being said, because it's unilateral and you're not able to, you know, have everyone run through a checkout or get them to sign, you know sign a waiver, go through the agreement because of the nature of the medium itself. The best thing that you can do is to be prepared and have something for support in in the end. And also coming back to the point that I was making about yoga is like yoga doesn't fit into a lot of these things. Because it's very, it's very unique and specific, but you just have to look at, at the bigger picture. So there, there has not been a case and I don't believe there will ever be a case that has to do with, you know, a yoga teacher doing an Instagram live and someone getting hurt and like, you know, that it goes in front of a superior court judge who provides a ruling and explains everything so that I could, whatever answer I'm giving you now, like it would be amazing if there was a judge who, you know really clearly explained how the law relates to Instagram live classes for yoga teachers. I can tell you with confidence that's not going to happen just because of the nature of settlements. And it doesn't seem like this industry is big enough to really beckon that that sort of a, attention from, a, from the court system. But that being said, it, it may happen. But in the interim, the best that you can do is post it on your website, have a link on your social media. And just you. always law always comes to how reasonable you behaved, right? So they're mm. always going to say, did you act above or below the level of a completely reasonable person? And the more in, in these sort of uncertain areas, the more things that you can do to show that you acted reasonably, that you were proactive, that you told people, blah, 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 whatever it is that you had to tell them, then if rubber hits the road, and an actual issue materializes you're able to make an argument for why you were reasonable and why you were not negligent and how you did everything that you could and surprisingly that goes a really long way yeah it's it's kind
0: of like insurance policy i mean you want that as well but it is it's like insuring for something that very unlikely it would happen but you then you're prepared and again i i like that you said it's showing you that you've taken the steps of you know being reasonable and wanting to take care of people, and you're not just saying it, but you've also taken some real tangible steps to do that.
1: It's a matter of respect. That's what I've come to learn about legal documents. Respect, mm-hmm. respect the people you work with, respect the people who are paying you, respect the people who admire you and the practice that you're doing, and just be upfront. And like, there's no injury to anyone by communicating openly and honestly.
0: Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Corey. This has been so helpful. I think there, for anybody listening out there, whether you're a yoga teacher, a personal trainer, or even if you work for yourself, I think it's been really enlightening that, you know, that we, the law is there for us. And it does help us, I think, not only appear, but act more professional and more respectful, like you mentioned. So thank you so much for being here. Where else can people find out all this great information we will have it in the show notes, but like your Instagram handle or anything else you want to share?
1: Yeah, the, uh, the Instagram handle is Conscious Counsel, uh, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. We have a website that's yogalegal.com. You can find the Yoga Law book on Amazon. You just write the Yoga Law book. And um, that's it. That's, that's us.
0: That's great. Thank you so much, Corey, for being on here today. This was, I know a lot, but I even learned quite a bit here. And it just reinforced how important it is to just be organized and buttoned up and take care of your business and take care of others. So thank you so much.
1: Cool. Thank you. And I'm happy that we're friends.
0: I am too. New friend. And I'll come visit someday in Brazil. Yay. And for all of you listening, as always, I am pulling for you.